Last week on Chain in the Valley, we were delighted to have Mark Jenis, Pure Nova's Global Head of Customer Engagement on the show. We took a deeper dive into the challenges of reconciliation, discussing how Pure Nova's cuneiform platform can solve some of the friction points within financial institutions. So, if you didn't tune into that one, well, you're a loss. You are listening to Peer Nova's Chain in the Valley, where we discuss all things blockchain and DLT over our morning coffee. Here are your hosts, Sonia and Naveed. Hi, everyone. I'm Naveed, and I'm here with my talented co-host, Sonia. Hey, guys. And you're listening to Chain in the Valley. What is this, episode 78? I think so. Something like that, at least, right? (laughs) All right, I kid. This is episode four. And again, (laughs) we know we're not going anywhere, right? (laughs) We had a total of like 140 listeners last time. So this is pretty awesome. This is as famous as I've ever been. Wow. (laughs) That just goes to show you what a boring life I lead. (laughs) But anyway, I am excited to have a dear friend and our head of product, Mr. Praveen, welcome to the show. Thank you, Naveed and Sonia. And I'm so pumped up to be here on the show. I think you guys are the celebrity hosts that everybody <laughs> dreams to uh, you know, be invited to. So I'm really happy to be on this uh, particular podcast. That is too kind. And true. Really kind. <laughs> like, really kind. So before we dive right in, would you mind giving our listeners a brief overview of your experience and background? Yeah, certainly. So I've been in the uh, software industry for um, over two decades now, um, and I I spent uh, almost nine years at a major Wall Street institution working in New York and London, uh, leading technology teams uh, primarily in OTC derivatives and uh, credit risk management. So I'm well-versed with the challenges that global financial institutions face. Um, I've been with Pianoa for almost a year now, and I'm really excited to be at the intersection of global capital markets uh, and blockchain, which, as you all know, has generated a lot of excitement out there in the community. And, Praveen, you and I had a conversation uh, about a conversation you had at a conference not too long ago, right? Yeah, certainly. So, you know, uh, one of my roles is I get to go to all these uh, cool conferences on blockchain, right? So they're all really exciting. They're full of, you know, enthusiastic people. Everybody is bullish on the prospects of blockchain in various industries. And at this particular uh, FinTech conference, I bumped into the CEO, founder of a a startup much like Pionova. Mm -hmm. Um, And then he was very passionate about his platform and the disruptive effect that his platform uh, would have on various uh, industries like mortgages, uh, syndicated loans, uh, asset securitization, uh, asset digitization, etc. Uh, a remarkable thing that he mentioned that that struck me, and I thought that's uh, that's worth examining more closely. Mm-hmm. So and what was that? So what he told me was something very interesting. He said, "Well, you know, being a small company, I am only going to be involved in digitizing assets that exist only on the ledger." Mm-hmm. And he said that he wants to do it because he wants to maintain focus. And that way, he doesn't have to worry about uh, integrating any on-chain assets with any sort of legacy systems in the rest of the financial institutions, whoever is a participant on the network. And also, he was uh, wary about being seen as a potential threat to existing 
IT teams who may have plans of their own. Uh, so what he said is that provided, you know, give me a neat plan of, uh, for digitizing, uh, digitizing a specific asset type on the ledger, and he would say yes. But if it's anything that already exists in your legacy systems, you already have IT teams working on it, then he would say no thank you. Mm -hmm. And so this is kind of interesting, right? Because people think that somehow blockchain is meant to replace things right, right off the bat. But yeah. that's not the case. I mean, you, you're not losing the, uh, the skills or the expertise that your IT team is providing today. You're just simply able to perhaps retool them to some extent. Is that right? That's exactly right. And, and that's the reason why I thought this uh, specific comment was so interesting because um, you know, on the face of it, it looks very sensible, right? Uh, being a small star startup, you know, uh, you can really get sucked into, the whole company can get sucked into this whole integration effort uh, mm -hmm. because, uh, you know, these global financial institutions are huge. Right. Um, you know, they're, in, uh, they're everywhere from Tokyo to New York, right? Tokyo, APAC, you know, Sydney, um, Mumbai, Frankfurt, London, Zurich, uh, New York, Chicago, etc. So, uh, you know, the, the, the sheer scale of integration required can be humongous. It can completely overwhelm a startup. So mm -hmm. that's number one. And number two, you know, you have some very well-entrenched uh, and talented IT teams already in place. And they may have certain roadmaps, certain visions themselves. And they may perceive a, a new and upcoming vendor as a threat. Right. And it's really easy to stonewall. You know, even the most well-intentioned, well-thought-of projects can get stonewalled um, because of internal opposition. These are very good reasons to have that sort of an approach where we can say, hey, we can hermetically seal this DLT network and assets exist only on the network and we won't worry about integration right. with existing systems. Right. So this is definitely something worth examining more closely. How would you say that a company should go about doing that? So there's two ways to look at it. Firstly, the first question we need to ask is, is it really realistic to expect that you know there is no integration required with existing systems, mm -hmm. right? Number one. And number two, this approach where assets exist only on the ledger, is this approach successful? What does it lead to? What is the impact of this approach? Like, uh, does it lead to successful adoption, mm -hmm. or successful productionization of ongoing DLT initiatives, faster time to market for DLT initiatives, and so on? So these are the two uh, sort of questions we need to introspect on to objectively assess whether this approach works or not. Right. So just so that everybody is clear, we're, we're talking about cleaning up what's going on inside before being able to fully tap into the power of a, a sort of a market infrastructure type DLT deployment. That is what, that's pure NOAA's hypothesis. Right. And I'll explain why. So we can start with the first question as to, is it realistic to say we completely ignore internal friction, so to speak, and focus only on digitizing brand new assets on the ledger. So to answer that question, we need to examine what our target market looks like. Mm -hmm. So as you're aware, Naveed, um, we sell to global financial institutions. So these are broker dealers or utilities like exchanges, CSDs, custodian banks, etc. These are almost always global in nature. They have disparate uh, lines of businesses. You know, many of them are in investment banking, trading, as asset management, and so on. And and many of them have uh, multiple legal entities all over the world. 
right, for uh, they're geographically um, disparate, right, um, um, due to different legal jurisdictions, uh, their operations are siloed, their systems are siloed, their data are, are siloed. Too. GDPR is a great example of that, right? right? Exactly. Yeah. So, so uh, you know, GDPR, there's other regional uh, regulators in Asia who mandate the same thing, that uh, data has to reside within that specific geography. So, um, you know, partly because of regulatory reasons and partly because of just time. Right. So over time, there's a consolidation, there's fragmentation and consolidation again. So banks get split up. They get they sell their business units to other banks. They merge, they acquire other banks and so on. So what you end up with is a complex spaghetti web of applications mm-hmm. as well as uh, data that's completely fragmented. Now, what, what does that mean? That means that if you have a certain, um, a certain asset, or a certain transaction. It could be a derivatives asset or an equity asset or a payment instruction, for example. I mean, that can reside in various formats in various different databases, and it can reside globally, right? Mm -hmm. So we have customers where a trade can reside in, say, hundreds of systems. Single trade can reside in hundreds of systems. And then you have um, complex workflows uh, also that are very specific to business units. So, for example, an algorithm or a process to calculate the, uh, the current credit exposure or potential future exposure will be developed by an exposure management group within the credit risk division of a bank. And then you have the various sub-ledgers for different business units that need to be reconciled with the corporate general ledger. You have cash you know, cash and payment gateways, uh, you have payment and settlement divisions, uh, there's collateral management, liquidity management, there's a whole complicated set of workflows and systems required. And then data flows through this interconnected web of systems mm-hmm. in any global enterprise. Right. So now what we've done is we've examined the market, which is these global financial institutions. We've looked at their operating environments, which are very complex, globally distributed and then we've looked at the workflows and data, which are distributed as well as fragmented. So that's what we know, mm-hmm. right? I just want to make sure that our listeners are very clear about this value proposition that we're talking about. So when we say putting things in order internally first and removing friction internally is because we know that that is all about low-hanging fruits, right? Because you, you know, we know how complicated even one department or another department is, right. let alone if you were to bring several huge financial institutions globally to agree on a sort of an interconnectivity type DLT model, mm-hmm. right? That's exactly right. I think I couldn't have put it better. So let's take the contrarian view and imagine that you could wave a wand, and let's assume that it, it is realistic to just ignore completely the internal friction and integration aspects and take an asset and then digitize it on the ledger solely. So you create this hermetically sealed mm-hmm. ledger. So what happens then? Let's say you want to transfer that asset to another party and there needs to be a cash exchange. Uh, there needs to be a payment made in cash. But guess what? Cash payments are handled off-chain. So you would need to integrate mm-hmm. the online transfer of that asset with the off-chain payment transactions, mm. right? And then today banks use, uh, you know, standard payment mechanisms, mostly SWIFT, right. or also Fedwire, CHAPS, CHIPS, etc. So all these are off-chain. So you would need to definitely synchronize your on-chain transfer of assets with your off-chain payment systems, mm-hmm. number one. 
Number two, there are many external events that happen that need to be reflected correctly on the ledger. Things like, you know, corporate actions, for example, proxy voting, all of that stuff. How, how do you reflect those accurately on the ledger? How about normal operational stuff like amendments and recalculations and so on that are typically done externally in existing systems? They need to be reflected back correctly on the ledger as well. So as you can see, there is this two-way integration that is required, and that's required to be done not only for operational correctness to maintain ongoing operational and process correctness, but also for regulatory reasons, mm -hmm. because all your regulatory reporting is done off-chain. Right, all your liquidity management systems are done off-chain. Your collateral management systems are all off-chain. So it's it's it, in our opinion, it is not realistic to just say that we can focus only on assets that can be fully digitized and we'll completely ignore the off-chain aspects and the off-chain integration needs. Right. So that's our hypothesis. You know, I wanted to ask you about smart contracts as well, very quickly, because, you know, we when we say interoperability, again, at an inter-institutional type deployment, right? Imagine I have a smart contract that's running on network one, and you have a smart contract that's running on network B, right? I think the assumption generally is that, well, there's congruency there. So the mm -hmm. two smart contracts understand one another, but that's not the case, right? If I have a smart contract on, on one DLT and you have one or not, they don't necessarily match. They're written to the code and the specifications required for that network. And therefore, is it fair to say that resolving those types of issues are still a long way away? Oh, absolutely. I think we are in the early, very early days of blockchain and distributed uh, ledger technology as a whole. You know, you have a landscape today where you have multiple global banks. They deal with um, multiple, you know, quote-unquote utilities like, you know, centralized counterparty clearinghouses, right? So a Swiss bank or a German bank or a large American bank might actually have their trades cleared and settled and transact with uh, a dozen or more uh, so-called CCPs. Uh, now, can we expect all of them to be on the same blockchain network? At some point, maybe, right? At some point or maybe never. Right. So, you know, there will be further development right. in blockchain technology and more consolidation of blockchain platforms. But it's quite likely that for the foreseeable future, we will be, uh, you know, we will be facing a situation where there will be multiple uh, blockchain networks using different sort of underlying platforms. Mm -hmm. And, you know, our customers face that today. So what Piernova is doing is uh, we are thinking a lot about this. We are working hard towards uh, providing customers with the tooling necessary where they can securely and efficiently put in place a mechanism where they can reap the benefits of DLT while not getting locked in by a single you know, choice of technology platform. Or vendor, right. Or vendor. Perfect. Right. So what do you think the impact of internal friction is in regards to the success rate and time to market for DLT initiatives? Oh, Sonia, that's a great question. So I think this is a topic that uh, not discussed in depth in the mainstream media, which tends to focus with much fanfare about various POCs, right, that you often see and hear being announced. Now, what we've noticed, and that's Pierre Noah's perspective, is that these DLT initiatives being flagged off with a lot of fanfare, but then they keep getting stuck in this POC mode. 
and they keep getting stuck in this POC mode for not just months but for years along. And then when you look at the you know infrequent announcements, you will see that the production quote unquote dates keep getting pushed back year after year. Our hypothesis is because the primary challenge they face is with regard to integrating their on-chain workflows and the, the so-called shared states and uh, shared workflows with the off-chain workflows, uh, the private states, and the private data. And the reason why they have challenges in that respect is precisely because of the internal friction aspects that we just talked about. Because there are so many disparate systems, there is no single source of truth for either uh, the data or the lifecycle events uh, within an institution. It becomes very hard to integrate the DLT workflows and the data that's shared on the DLT network with these off-chain workflows. And then you end up with these situations where you are unable to meet the operational requirements and the compliance requirements of the sort that we talked about. For example, you know, transfer of uh, assets on, on, on chain, but you are not able to make the corresponding cash payments or you are not able to you know, reflect amendments that are made off-chain back to the on-chain assets and so on and so forth. So we believe that solving internal friction is a prerequisite towards successful adoption and productionization of DLT initiatives right. in the market. And I think that's that's such a great point because we hear in the news lately that people are skeptical about use cases. You know, sometimes success isn't immediate and, and therefore it leaves a sense of over-promising and under-delivery <laughs> for right. this uh, technology as a whole. Yes, DLT is super important, but you're not really going to be able to fully realize the benefits until you sort everything out internally. Now, that takes us back a little bit more. That makes the problem even more complicated. It requires even more time, resources, and energy to resolve. But we know that we're looking at this under the microscope, and we can really see where those friction points are, what we're going after, how we're going to solve those things in order to really be able to make claims about DLT as a whole. Exactly. Well said, Navi. <laughs> <laughs> You're hired. Praveen, thank you so much for being here. This was extremely helpful. But I just wanted to mention to our listeners that not only has Praveen been kind enough for this time to come to this podcast, but he's also taken an enormous amount of time out of his busy schedule to write a fantastic blog post that will go on next week on Medium. So please visit medium.com forward slash Piranova for that. And uh, you can also find this blog at the bottom of every one of our web pages as well. Absolutely. So that was another great conversation. Let's keep them coming. Next week, we will bring you episode five of Chain in the Valley, where we cover more hot topics in blockchain and DLT. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Music, Stitcher, and chaininthevalley.com. If you're a tweeter, you can follow us on Chain in Valley, join our Chain in the Valley group on LinkedIn, or read more details on latest episodes via the blog on Medium. So thanks for listening, everyone, and have a great week. And that's the way blockchain no, no, crumbles. No, no. <laughs> that's my Walter Cronkite no. impression.